Congregation, this morning I preach to you the word as we find that in, as it's confessed in, in Lord's Day 45 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 45. And there the church has summarized from Scripture the following. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. And third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ, our Lord himself, taught us. What is the Lord's Prayer? And then follows the Lord's Prayer as well. Also pray that um, after at the end of the service. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in the Lord, and boys and girls who belong to him, we're going to concentrate a bit on that first question and answer of Lord's Day 45. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? And that implies then it's not just an option for Christians or just an emergency measure for when we're uh, having problems, but it's necessary for Christians, for us. And Lord's Day 45 gives two reasons for that, why it's necessary for Christians to pray. First, because it's the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us, and second, because God gives his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. Let's think about those two reasons why we need to pray. And the theme for the sermon this morning then is the necessity of prayer. And two things in connection with that, those two reasons. First of all, it's our pulse. And in the second place, it's God's pipeline. First of all, we need to pray because prayer is our pulse. Prayer, somebody said, I think it was John Calvin said, is the heartbeat of the believer's soul. And you see that in Psalm 50. In that psalm, God speaks to his people about their spiritual life. In particular, they were making lots of sacrifices for the Lord, but their spiritual life was flatlining, really. Their hearts were far from the Lord. 
And that's possible today, too, that you can be zealous for serving the Lord. You're faithfully in church, sing and worship, put money in the collection, and so on. But your thoughts are somewhere else, and your heart is actually somewhere else. Your heart's not in it. In that case, the Lord says, I'd rather that you come to me in truth and sincerity, that instead of just doing the outward things without your heart, that you call on me, you genuinely seek me. Better one prayer from the heart than a hundred sacrifices that you make only out of duty. Better that you come to me one time in all sincerity of heart than that you come into the temple a hundred times without seeking true communion with me, Psalm 50. And then the Lord says in that Psalm, verse 15, he says, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Call on me from your heart. In other words, that's thanking what thanking the Lord is. Acknowledging him, confessing him, And that shows that your heart lives for him, beats for him. And that's important to think about as far as knowing what prayer is. Before you realize it, you can end up having a wrong idea of what prayer actually is. Then you think prayer is something like this. You want something, you need something, and you ask God if he's going to give it to you, if he'll give it to you. And then you hope that God may be able to give you what you ask for. But you never know for sure, and so you ask again and and again. Maybe God will think, then you're thinking, maybe God will think he's prayed so often, she prayed so often, they want it so badly. Might as well give them what they're asking for. That's a caricature of what prayer actually is. You treat God like an idol, like Baal or so. You have to appease him by praying long and loud and often. That's a, that's a big danger that our prayer, our praying becomes a matter of trying to cajole God into doing what we would like him to do. <clears throat> How can I get God to forgive that sin that keeps bothering me, that I keep falling into? <clears throat> I'd like to be more successful in life, be happier. I know what would be good for me, but how can I convince God to come on side so he gives me what I desire. As if God is Baal or something like that. That's not real prayer to the living God, right? It's not exercising a relationship with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is it? No, prayer is confessing to him, Lord, you are good. You have my good at heart always. You fulfill your promises. You want to save me. You promised. You seek my good ways, my good always and everything. And Lord God, you made me ready to accept what you promised me. And please assure me that you're after my good and salvation. Even if you don't fulfill my wish for healing or for my success in business or for renewal of my marriage. Make me able to accept that also from your hand. That you have then my good in mind too. See congregation that's how prayer is actually the exercise of our relationship with God. It's the pulse of our soul. Of our spiritual life with God. 
When prayer is acknowledging that God is good in all his promises, good to you in all his promises, and in all his ways with you, that's thankfulness. That's confessing that God is good and that he fulfills his promises, even when we don't see how or when or, or where he's going to fulfill those promises. That's how the saints of old prayed. And how they walked in faith, acknowledging that God is true to his word, even when everything in their life seems to point in the opposite direction. God, you are good. Think of Abram and Sarah, promised the child, had to wait for years and years. How they must have prayed from the heart to be able to cling to God's promises as they did. Is that how how we pray? Then we don't pray because God needs to know what our desires are and so on. But we pray because we need it to show him, to display to him, to confess to him our need for him. Our acknowledgement and trust in God and his faithfulness to his promises is often so weak, isn't it? So embattled. And you can hardly believe that God is going to want to forgive you what you did as he promised. Or you, you can hardly believe that God is still working for your good if he lets this awful thing happen to you. How can this be good? But then you need to pray to exercise your faith. To receive hope from him. To surrender your will to his will. Prayer keeps your heart set on his name, his promises, him himself. It sets him before the eyes of your soul every time again. And you see, that's why you find prayer in the last part of the catechism, the part about our thankfulness. And in that part, it comes after the part about the law, the Ten Commandments. You have them first and then the prayer. See, those commandments are what bring us to prayer. Jesus wants to write that law in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the law in all its sharpness, its depth, its breadth, the law of love. He wants to renew those who redeemed into his image. And when I hear that law and meditate on it, then I realize again that Christ wants to write it on my heart. And then, and then it cannot be that I as believer, but still acknowledging my sinfulness, come to pray to God. Lord, forgive my sins. Teach me your law. You can't listen to the law as a believer without falling on your knees in prayer, can you? That's how prayer is the the heartbeat, the pulse of your soul. And this morning, God puts his finger on your pulse, the pulse of your soul. How spiritually healthy are you? Does your heart beat strong? Or is it weak? Or has it maybe even flat-lined? Then you're spiritually dead. See, the stronger your, the pulse of your soul, the happier the Lord is. The more you call on him to renew and strengthen you, the more he loves it because it shows your thankfulness to him for his promises. 
And it's amazing if you think about it, because that's now not how, how things normally go in life here. That the more you ask, the more someone loves to give it to you. If it's your birthday and grandma gives you a $10 bill, it wouldn't sound good if you asked grandma, well, grandma, can I have another $10 bill? I don't think that would sound appropriate, would it, boys and girls? I think your mom and dad would let you know that that's not right to ask grandma for that, not being thankful for what you have got. But the Lord your God loves it when you ask for more, more gifts of his grace, more gifts of his spirit, more of the spiritual gifts of humility, submission, trust, acceptance. He loves it because that shows heartfelt thankfulness toward him. If you figure that God has already given you what he can and wants to, that's not a good sign. Just think, if you bought bread at the local bakery once and you never came back there, wouldn't that show that you didn't really like their bread? Or at least that you like the bread somewhere else better? See, the more you go back to that bakery... And the more you seek that bread, the more the baker loves it. And the more you show that his bread is the best of all. Well, the more you go to the Lord, the more you honor him. And the more he loves it. Because he is the bread of life. And that bread, as well as the wine he gives, as we hope to hear this afternoon, are nourishment for the soul to everlasting life. And the more we, we seek that from him, the more spiritual nourishment we, we crave from him in word and sacrament, the more he is glorified and the more he wants to give. And the less you seek that nourishment from him, the more you're going to seek your life elsewhere, the more you dishonor him, the more you show thanklessness to him. He wants to give you more. But if you don't seek, ask, knock, you grieve him. In other words, if I'm lukewarm in prayer, if I don't call on him from the heart, if I don't seek his salvation and gifts in prayer constantly, then I dishonor him and I show my heart doesn't really beat for him. So we've seen that prayer and faith have everything to do with each other. You need faith to pray. On the other hand, you need prayer to believe. It's a circle, faith and prayer, and prayer and faith, like the father who once brought his sick son to Jesus. Jesus asked him, do you believe? And then he, he cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. He had a spiritual pulse, but he asked for more life, more, more. And God loves it when you ask him for more of what he has promised. So prayer is necessary, as we confess in Lord's Day 45, the heartbeat of the soul, the pulse of our spiritual life. We come to the second part of the sermon this morning. Prayer is necessary because it's God's pipeline. The second reason Christians need to pray is as confessed there in Lord's Day 45, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. It's like God's pipeline. You can think, for instance, of a desert. 
Nothing wants to grow in a desert. <clears throat> However, in many cases, the desert has been brought about to produce crops. How? Water is piped in from a river or lake somewhere else, from a dam or so. Water is pumped into those desert areas via pipeline, and then the desert becomes a fruitful place. Congregation, that's something like how God works with his people who are still by nature sinners, whose hearts and lives are by nature deserts. Nothing grows there. We're unfruitful of ourselves. But the Lord God is the overflowing fountain of all good. With him is perfect joy, love, holiness, strength. And prayer is God's pipeline to bring all that into the deserts of our hearts and lives. That's the only way he brings his grace and spirit into our hearts as we confess Lord's Day 45. The only way that we can be alive and fruitful again is through prayer. And that's why prayer is so necessary in the second place. In order to receive God's grace and the Holy Spirit who alone can make our lives fruitful for God's kingdom. It might seem strange that our confession speaks of faith being necessary for believers. Don't people who aren't converted need prayer more? People, an, an unconverted person though, doesn't, doesn't need prayer for the kind of life that he or she leads, right? An unrepentant person. They can live on without God's grace. They don't need the Holy Spirit. They're happy without it. Imagine if you, you thought that. I have no need of God's grace. I don't need the Holy Spirit to live and work in me. You'd be totally living on your own. Without God. And that would be your future too. So unfruitful. You remain a desert. It's exactly Christians, believers, who need prayer to keep their lives fruitful. And to keep going forward. Why has God made it that way? Why did he decide to give his grace and spirit only via prayer? Well, because he wants to have a living interaction with us. See, the Lord is not a salesman trying to sell us something. With all due respect to salespeople here. Salespeople, their object is to sell something to the customer. And their object is not to cultivate a close relationship with that customer. It's about the sale, about moving the merchandise, about making a living from that. But it's different with, for example, parents and children. It's nice if you eat meals with your children, but if you only see them at mealtimes and only to make sure that they have some other things they need, clothing and so on, and that's it, you realize that that's not going to be right. You're not going to have a relationship with your kids. And that's what it's about. And it's the same with the Lord God. He isn't just interested in fulfilling our needs. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to show love to and also receive love from his children. 
He wants heart-to-heart interaction with believers. And that's why he only and then only gives his grace and the Holy Spirit when we pray for them via prayer. He wants to see and meet with us every day as his children who seek his face and constantly ask him and thank him for his gifts. And that's what his children want too, right? From their side, they want a living relationship with their God and Father in Christ. Want to see his face shine on them, seek his love, want to know that they're surrounded by his care. Want to tell him what's in their hearts. Want to speak to him heart to heart. That's also, by the way, why the first answer of Lord's Day 45 talks about praying with heartfelt longing. Heartfelt longing for God's grace and his spirit. That means you want them intensely. You want them desperately, we could say. And you know something? The more intensely we pray for those things, the more heartfelt we seek God's grace and spirit, the bigger God's pipeline is to us. A big pipeline, obviously, is going to bring more water into the desert than a small little pipeline. An intense, heartfelt prayer for God's grace and the Holy Spirit's and His gifts is like a, a large pipeline. Many heavenly gifts can pour through it into your life then. But half-hearted and careless prayer is like a small diameter pipeline which only carries a small amount of water and then you end up with very little love, joy, holiness and other heavenly gifts in the desert of your life and that's something that's good for us all to think about isn't it if there's little growth in those spiritual gifts in my life patience, peace, love, gentleness and so on then there's most likely something wrong with the pipeline. The pipeline of prayer. And if there's something wrong with that pipeline of prayer, it's going to remain dry and lifeless in my heart and in my life, isn't it? Then there's not going to be much fruit because there's not enough water coming in. And notice that the catechism then speaks about praying constantly, too. That doesn't mean that you have to walk around praying all the time, be too distracting for your work and other activities. What it means is this. Sometimes it seems as if God doesn't hear your prayers. You know, you pray for the the grace of forgiveness in Christ, but you just can't get over what you did. And You seem to fall into it so easily again. You pray for the Spirit's work in your heart and life. You ask to be able to grow in holiness and in the joy of salvation. And for for you ask for more love to be able to forgive others, but you don't see much of that change in your life. And then it seems as if your prayers aren't being heard. They hit they hit a hard surface and bounce back. Maybe it it works for others, but not for you. But then you have to pray constantly. Keep praying 
fervently keep trusting that God is always good for his children and that he will always fulfill his promises to them. Maybe that's exactly why God turns down the tap of that pipeline. You were starting to take his gifts for granted. You weren't amazed at his grace anymore. You weren't giving him thanks for what he did for you in Christ. It could be that God then turns down the tap on that pipeline to bring you to remember and to pray more fervently and more constantly to him. So congregation prayer is necessary because it's the pulse of the soul the heartbeat of your spiritual life with God and because it's the pipeline through which God alone gives us his heavenly gifts. The things he has in heaven come only via that pipeline of prayer. His grace and spirit as it's summarized in Lord's Day 45. But then having said that, you realize that this is why the devil is so intent on ruining your prayer life, isn't he? He does everything he can to cause our pulse to become weaker and eventually to flatline. He does everything he can to try to pinch off that pipeline that nothing comes through it into our hearts and lives and that we remain unfruitful. Deserts. The devil wants to convince us that we need to do this and we need to do that and therefore we have no time to pray to our Father in Christ or he tries to focus our interest on other things so that we don't feel like praying or he tries to convince us that prayer isn't going to help you anyway. It's not going to do anything. You realize that he's going to do his utmost to ruin your prayer life. How can you resist him? Well, think about these things. In the first place, heed God's command when he says, for instance, Psalm 50, call on me from the heart. Call on me. That glorifies my name from the heart. It's necessary for your life, your spiritual life in particular. So don't only pray when you feel the need. The Lord says, don't just pray when you think you need me, but because I want you to pray. Pray because I want that to hear you. Because I command you to even. Set regular times for your daily prayer, therefore, especially. Not that you only pray at those times, but if you set regular times, like the saints in the Bible did, then you do speak to him regularly. And then he loves to hear you when you call on him, not only at those times, but also other times, but that regularity is important. And in the second place, it's good to combine prayer with reading from God's word. Reading the gospel feeds your prayer. There the Lord tells you what he promises you, full of God's promises to his people. God loves it when we ask him to fulfill what he has promised in Christ. You read scripture. What is God promising here? I pray about that. And in the third place, have an inner room for personal prayer. 
Jesus warned in his Sermon on the Mount about people who pray to be seen by men. He urged humble prayer, and then he says, go into your inner room to pray. Now, in those days, when there were no fridges or freezers, every house had this little inner room, kind of a cold storage, where food stuff was stored. No windows in there. People seldom went there only to get some food when they needed it. So it was a place where you wouldn't be seen or disturbed by anybody. You could just be there by yourself. And you could concentrate. Quiet, peaceful place. We can pray anytime. We can pray everywhere. But it's also important to have a quiet time and a quiet place then in this busy world we live in to be still and to concentrate on speaking with God. And that takes discipline and requires you to turn off your smartphone or computer and the television. Let your mind rest and focus on your God in Christ. And finally, remember that prayer is, as the Bible said, seeking God's face. You're not just talking in the air. You're seeking his face. His attention. He turns to you and says, yes. And he's the Holy One, the Almighty One, who called the earth and the sun and the universe into existence, Psalm 50. The one who gave his son for sinners, produced salvation for sinners. The one who will judge all men in righteousness. And praying is approaching him, meeting him. And that's something we need to do with a lot of humility and with great reverence. And that takes a frame of mind and heart to show that we have taken something like Psalm 50 to heart. We're not just praying out of custom. We're not just throwing some words in the air. But we're praying because that's what Christians do. That's what they need. Because we truly want to meet our God and Father through Jesus Christ. Amen.